it's so great to be with you all this morning. And I tell you, Oceans is on fire in more ways than one. <laughs> I'll save that story for another day. <laughs> but it really is good to be with you. Before the Holy Spirit Fire Conference, we uh, began a, a two-part series on salvation. The first part was entitled, What Must I Do to Be Saved? And I explained to you what's required for us to be saved. You know, um, so if you were not here, I encourage you to go back and listen to that first part because I think it's important that we understand salvation. It's important that we understand what salvation truly looks like and how to walk that salvation out. This morning, we're going to be discussing a subject that I know is very controversial. And why, the reason why I say that is there are very strong opinions on this particular subject. We're going to be discussing this morning, can you lose your salvation? This is not preached often because it causes people to get very offended and very upset. I want to start this morning right off by saying this. If you don't agree with me, I will not be upset with you. I still love you. I'm right, but I love you. Okay? Really, that's not the point this morning. The point is for us to have a look at what the Scriptures have to say. And then the Bible says this, that you must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So it's important that you understand that. But I do think it's very important because today on the planet, there is a lot of teachings around grace and salvation that are potentially harmful to the body of Christ. Over the years, I've seen many things play out in the lives of believers that have been really shocking. I've seen people turn away from their faith. I've seen people turn away from serving God, starting out very, very innocently because they believe the doctrine that actually causes them to enter into things that eventually ultimately causes them to be in some, some trouble with the Lord. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. And again, I want to just start by just saying just you know, plainly, I'm going to give it to you as it is in the Word of God. There's no way I can cover every Scripture. So if you have a Scripture that I didn't cover, I probably know that Scripture. But this morning, I can only take a look at this, you know, give you a few Scriptures, some of the main Scriptures that hold to each point of view and why they're so strong on that point of view. I want to challenge you as well this morning. Don't hold your position because that's what you want. Hold your position biblically. What does the Bible say? I'm happy to be wrong. Is that okay? And I'm going to share with you why I believe one position definitely isn't right, why I believe one position could be okay, and then why I believe one position is the correct position. But again, ultimately, you decide. Is that okay? If you get angry, I want you to know and I'm not joking, there's something wrong with you. You cannot get angry about something like this. We are supposed to be able to discuss these things. And as your pastor, I feel it's my responsibility to present this to you. Even if it's uncomfortable. Amen. So let's get into it this morning. The first thing that we have to talk about is that salvation is the most wonderful, amazing gift. And I'm sure we can all agree on that. I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that Jesus died to save my soul. And God gave us the most wonderful gift, which is salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, I'm not going to go too much into salvation. We know what it is. If you were not here a few weeks ago, please go and listen to the sermon. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So you must realize right off the bat that there is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. It is a gift that has been given to us, that has been given to us because of the price that Jesus paid. What must we do to receive that gift? I'm so glad you're asking. Romans 10 verses 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important, and I taught you this in part one of the series, that you not only believe. The Bible says even the demons believe and tremble. Christians believe and don't tremble. 
What's important is that you make Jesus the Lord of your life. And you believe that He died and rose again and that He is the Son of God. If you believe it and make Him Lord and surrender your life to Him, you are saved. If He's not Lord in your life, then you might have to ask yourself some questions. It's not good enough to believe. As I said, even the demons believe. And we know that they are not going to heaven. Amen. So when it comes to whether you can lose your salvation or not, I think it's important for us to start by saying this. It's not so much you can lose your salvation. It's not that you can lose your salvation. The question really should be, can you choose to forfeit it? Can you choose to forfeit your salvation? Is that a possibility? Can you, do, can you make decisions in your life, choose to go a different way, and will that ultimately cause you to possibly forfeit your salvation? You don't lose your salvation like you've parked your car somewhere and it's lost. Are you with me? You don't just lose it. It's not something that you just lose and gain and lose. And it doesn't work that way. Salvation is this gift that has been given to you, but you have a choice what you're going to do with that salvation. Now, let's take a look at the three different point of views, the three different main point of views that there are. Now, I'm sure there are more, but most certainly there's no doubt that these are the three main points that are held by different people in the body of Christ. Did you know that sometimes in churches we don't all agree on the same thing? The first position is what we called once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. This position says this, no matter how you live or what you do, if you believed in Jesus, then you are saved. If you gave your life to Him at some point, no matter what happens in your life, no matter how far you get from God, no matter how you live your life, whether you enter in rebellion or not, doesn't really matter. Because grace is so wonderful, you will make it to heaven. That's the first position. Once saved, always saved. And it's preached in thousands of pulpits all over the planet. This is one position. The second position is essentially this. Is that if for some reason in your journey with God, you turn to rebel against Him or you decide to rebel against Him and you turn away from God and you die in that sin and you haven't repented and turned back to God, they believe that you never were really saved from the beginning. They say that what that means is that if you rebel, turn to some other religion or, or renounce God or, or accept sin and just go your own way, you were actually never really saved. That's the position that position number two holds. Just so you know, this is Calvin's position. He believes that once you give your life to Jesus, you are saved. If you end up you know, basically renouncing your faith or, or you end up rebelling against God, the truth is you were actually never really saved. That's position number two. Position number three is that a believer gets saved, gives his life to Jesus, serves the Lord, but as we chose to serve Him, we can choose to not serve Him. This position believes that a believer has a choice whether or not he will serve God and he can decide to rebel against God. And that position of rebelling against God and not serving the Lord anymore, turning against God, no repentance, no turning towards the Lord, that person can get into trouble with their salvation. That's the third position. And you're all so quiet in Vero Beach this morning. Let's take a look at some of these positions. Position number one, once saved, always saved. I'm going to give you two of the scriptures that they hold to. These are not the only scriptures that they hold to, to hold their position. There are others too. The only thing is, is that the other scriptures, the majority of the other scriptures are really more, they all, it's not even, it's, you can't even argue them, to be totally honest. These are the main ones that would justify in some way their position. As you can tell, I do not believe this position. Okay, I'm trying hard to be very partial, but it's kind of difficult, okay? Okay, now please do me a favor. If you're starting to manifest, okay, just stay calm, okay? I can tell some of you are already very upset with me. It's okay. 
I still love you. And really, I do, even if you hold this position, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I mean it. I actually very sincerely mean it. I want you to look at all the scriptures this morning and then decide for yourself. What's important to me is that you are serving the Lord, that you are continuing to serve Him, regardless of the position you hold. But if you're not serving Him and living in sin and thinking that that's okay and there's no repentance and no conviction, then I'm a little worried about you. So I do not like this position. I wasn't planning on saying that now. Let's just take a look. Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. This is one of the, one of the most go-to scriptures for this position. And we'll read the whole thing, but we'll just talk about one part of it for the sake of time this morning. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called, whom He called, these He also justified, and whom He justified, He also glorified. That we, sh that what then shall we say to these things. God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. This is so beautiful. I love this scripture. Who shall separate us? This is where it gets important. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sakes, we are killed all day long. We are recounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor, nor, prince, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is one of the most beautiful scriptures that describes simply this that nothing can separate you from God's love. There is no created being or entity or thing that has any right to separate you from God's love. I am 100% in total agreement with this. This is beautiful. One of the most powerful scriptures to us as believers and can give you an assurance of your salvation. You can know that if you are walking with God, that you are assured of your salvation that no one has any right or can do anything to you or cause you to in any way be lured away from the Lord. Let's go to the next verse and we'll talk a little bit more about this. John 10, 26 says this, But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Isn't that beautiful, guys? That you are assured that no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. That He is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He says this and He makes a beautiful promise here. There is a one condition which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But these are the scriptures that cause, some of the scriptures that cause individuals to believe that once you are saved, you are always saved and nothing by any means whatsoever can, can cause you to lose your salvation. The problem with it is this, and I need to say this, and I want you to remember this. You have a choice. The Bible says, I place before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You must choose. You must make a decision to choose whether you will follow Him or not follow Him. And I'm saying that very specifically 
because we're going to come back to this scripture a little bit later on. Now I want to go to position two and show you why position two objects to one saved, always saved, or rather not really that one saved, always saved, but they believe that if you don't do what I'm about to tell you, if you don't do what I'm about to tell you, that what will happen is you have never actually really made Jesus Lord of your life. That's this position. Let's take a look at just two scriptures. There are many, many scriptures of this. Here's some of the argument. Luke 6, 46 says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? And you'll understand why this is so important in just a little bit. Hebrews 5, 8 says, Though he was a son, yet he, this is about Jesus, now learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, watch this now, he became the author of eternal salvation. Here comes the terms of that salvation to all who obey him. To all who obey him. Yes. So individuals that choose to not obey God were never really saved. I'm not talking about making a mistake, guys. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an individual that has chosen to go against God's word, has chosen a lifestyle and a lifestyle, a lifestyle of sin and non-repentance and decided to go in a direction that is completely contrary to the word of God. That person is the individual I'm talking about. You can have momentary lapses. You can have weaknesses. You can make mistakes as long as your heart is right and you're turning back to God and you seek the Lord, there's nothing for you to worry about. Are you with me? Now again, there's many, many more scriptures. But let's just take a look at why these individuals, position number two, which says this, that if you turn away from God, you were never really saved. There are two scriptures, main scriptures that they go to. The first one is in 1 John 2 verse 18. Let's go there. 1 John 2 verse 18. I'm trying my best to make this as simple and easy to understand. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, so they were with them. They were with them in the faith. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So these individuals started with them, but obviously turned away from this group of believers and are no longer with them. For if they had been, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So he's saying here, listen, these individuals that started with us, they were with us, but they were never really of us. In other words, they were never, that you know, it could suggest that they were never really saved. This is one of the strong verses that this position holds to, to argue the point that, listen, you know, if they, if they had given their life to Jesus, they would have stayed in the faith. Are you with me, guys? The problem with this text is that there is also a strong possibility that he's actually just referring to a small group of individuals that literally started with them and then decided to not stay with them. And was no longer with him and now teaching some other doctrine. Are you with me? That is a very strong possibility. But I will say this, that if that is the position, I'm okay with that. If you believe that, that's fine. Because the truth is, is that you believe at the very least that in order for you to have really been saved, you must continue to serve the Lord. I just want you to serve the Lord. I just want you to stay with him. Are you with me? I don't hold to this position, but that's okay. Because the truth is, what I want to make sure is, is that you stay with God to the end. So from their position, the point is, if you were really saved, you would stay with him. All right. Now, let's take a look at one more verse. 1 John 3, 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows nor known him. In other words, listen, if you can see that someone's life has not changed, that you can, you can see that this person is not, there's no fruits of repentance, no fruits of salvation. Listen, something is wrong here. Possibly this person was not ever really saved. Raising your hand, guys, 
doesn't cut it. Giving your life to Jesus means you give your life to Jesus. This argument, this position is not a terrible position. I just don't know that it's accurate. But most certainly, the main thing as a pastor is that I want people to be saved and to stay with God. So for me, this position is, okay, I don't know that it's right, but it's okay. It's not the worst position. The first position I don't like. Do you know how many people have said to me when they are in deep sin, listen, brother, I'm under grace. Pastors sitting in a hot tub, smoking cigars, drinking beers, we're under grace. True story. Don't get mad at me, pastor, please. I'm not trying to condemn you because you smoke cigars and drink beer. That's your decision. But what happens is when they start to go down that road of thinking that there's no consequences for our sin, it's a slow fade, guys. Listen, I'm not preaching something to you that I just heard about. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen how people that I have loved that have been in the ministry had a slow fade and got into serious trouble in their ministry because they began to compromise. The the main thing that we always pray for is that the person will repent and come back to the Lord. He is a good father. The story of the prodigal son, you know it so well. Listen, when you come back to the father, he's ready and waiting for you with open arms. Let's talk about position three. A believer has a choice. You have a choice of how you will handle your salvation. Work out your own salvation. He doesn't say work it out, don't worry, everything's good. He says work it out with fear and trembling because you need to check yourself, guys. Hebrews 3 verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. In other words, your heart has become sinful and you actually no longer believe. Watch, why is that important? Because that heart, look at the next part, that turns away from the living God. So you can turn your heart away from God and get into trouble. That's what happens, is that if you begin to have a sinful, unbelieving heart, you don't believe, you start to reject the Holy Spirit, you start to reject Him, you can turn away from the living God. He says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Why? Because, listen, while you still have an opportunity, make sure you are right with God. Why? Because if you're not, there is a possible consequences. And it's not just rewards. I'll prove that to you. I don't like preaching this. Why am I doing it? I'm doing it because I care about you. I don't want you to be swayed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Listen, if you're a good speaker, you can convince anybody of what you believe by leaving out a whole lot of stuff. What's really important that we have a look at some of the key verses when it comes to this in Scripture. And I really believe I've brought some of the main ones up this morning. I know there are more, but these are some of the main ones. Let's take a look now. He says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sinful deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly. He says, listen, you've got to hold that conviction firmly all the way to the very end. You share in Christ. So he's saying if you make it all the way to the end, then you share in Christ. What does that mean? That means that if you don't do it to the end, you do not share. I want you to hear me carefully because some of you are so afraid. You have no reason to be afraid. Do you love Jesus? Do you come to Him when you mess up and say, Lord, forgive me? You've got nothing to worry about, guys. We're talking here about a unbelieving heart, a sinful, unbelieving heart. It takes a lot to get there. Listen, God will step in and even do things to make sure that you make it. That's why 
Oh, Pastor Alex is talking about the heart again. Yes, I am. Because it's so important that you protect your heart. Because your heart will deceive you so much that it'll lure you into a dark road that can end up getting you into trouble. And I say this to every one of you, but especially to ministers. And by the way, most of you are ministers in some capacity. Let's take a look at another verse. Colossians 1 verse 21. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. So we are definitely talking to Christians. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, there's a condition. You must continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is clear. It's clear, guys. But I'll show you how much more clear it is. Let's go to the next verse. Let's go to 2 Peter 2, verse 20. This one is very strong and very clear. 2 Peter 2, verse 20. I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation for the sake of making it easy to understand. But you can check it in any translation. It all says the same thing. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and get and then get entangled up and enslaved by sin again. So listen, he's addressing individuals that have been saved, that, that were once in the world. Now they're saved. He says, but now this individual is getting tangled up again in sin. What does he say to them? He says, they are worse off than before. What? He's saying to them, listen, you, if you decide to go back, if you decide to follow those ways and reject God, you are actually worse off. And you want to tell me that this person is going to heaven. That's not what the Bible says, guys. I'm not saying this because I'm happy now to prove that I'm right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying maybe we should pay attention to what the Scriptures are saying. Maybe it's important that we understand this beautiful gift of salvation that costs Jesus His life, requires us to respond to Him, not because we have to do this and we have to do that, because He wants us to live free. He wants us to live loving Him, serving Him in relationship with Him all the way to the end so that the enemy has nothing in us. Not by works, but by grace. Let's go on. He says, they are worse off than before. Watch this. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. Verse 22, they prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returning to its vomit and another saying, a washed pig returns to the mud. This is very clear language. Don't try to change it to suit your theology. What's the most important thing here? Don't lose sight of this. Is He the Lord of your life or isn't He? Don't try and say, well, it's okay. I can sleep with a hundred women. I can have affairs. The Lord's fine with it. I can do whatever I want. It's no problem. I don't need to repent because I'm under grace. Brother, you are deceived. And I'm... I love you enough to tell it to you. Amen. Now, let's go on. Just a few more verses. I'm nearly done. Can you hang with me just a few more minutes? Are you getting something out of this morning? I am not trying to lesser the goodness and grace of God in any way at all. In fact, I recognize how good it is and how wonderful it is. But I will by no means whatsoever suggest that you can live in rebellion. In fact, there is not one scripture, not 
one, Old Testament, New Testament, that says in any way whatsoever that you can live in rebellion and think it's going to be okay and you're going to make it to heaven. There is not one scripture that says that, not one. All right, I need to move. John 10 verse 26, this is the same scripture that the one saved, always saved, quote and use. Let's read it again. I want to show you one verse there. It's important. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, now he's about to tell us what is his sheep, what qualifies his sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands or out of my father's hand. I agree with this 100%. But take a look at verse number 27. He says this. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And everybody read the next part for me. If you do not follow him, you are not his sheep. You have to follow him. If you ever go to where there are sheep on a a field, if you've ever seen this, go Google this, go look at this. When the shepherd comes, guys, And he calls them. They come running because they know his voice. And what do they do? They follow him wherever he goes when he calls them. If you, if there's a sheep in the fold and that sheep does not know this shepherd, he will not follow them. That sheep will not follow that shepherd. Are you with me? He will only follow the voice that he knows, that he chooses to follow. You have a choice. It's true. No one can snatch you out of his hand. The gift that you have been given is so good that no one can take it away from you. However, I want to tell you this. You can choose to not take it or to reject it. You have a choice. That's the bottom line. That's the key. You have a choice. We need to look at one more story and then I'll close. Let's go to, oh man, there's two more. Are you okay? Can we keep going? All right. Okay, there's three more verses. Okay, Matthew said, <laughs> amen, all right. Matthew seven thirteen. take a look at this. This is important. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it, but you have a choice. You have to choose to take that narrow path. Take a look just a few verses later, Matthew 7, 13, 14. Let's go to Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I've heard many that hold to the position that you never were saved, if he's referring to you here. The problem I have with that is I've been serving the Lord a long time, and the Holy Spirit comes upon those who are saved people. He only moves through you like that with prophecies and with deliverance and stuff like that when you are saved. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? The only time that demon will be cast out by anyone is when they know you in the Spirit. And the only way they can know you in the Spirit is if you have received the Spirit of God. And the Lord says to them clearly here, depart from me. You are not coming in. This is frightening. Well, this is only to Pentecostal preachers. No, it isn't. (laughs) No, it isn't. But even if it is to preachers, even if it is to ministers, it shows us that if we rebel against God, if we practice iniquity, lawlessness, and we do our own thing and we go our own way, that we can get into trouble. Well, you know, when Jesus said that they'll, you know, be cast into utter darkness, that's not hell. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to outer darkness. Maybe you think that's okay. But me, no. I want to go with the Lord. 
I want to enter into the joy of the Lord. I want Him to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, son, come. Come in, come in. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait to hear those words. Will I hear those words because I'm perfect? Absolutely not. I'm not perfect. That's why I need that great grace. But I can stand before you in all confidence and boldness that if something happens to me tonight, I will wake up on the other side and run into the arms of Jesus and there will be no turning me away. I firmly believe it. And so should you. You have nothing to fear. The only time that you should start being concerned is if your life is not, if you're not serving Him, if you do not know Him, if you've rebelled against Him. Don't tell me that someone that has decided to renounce their faith and follow Buddha is still going to heaven because once they got saved. Come on, guys. There are many, 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 many that have done that sort of thing. Well, you know, they were never really saved. Okay, well, let's take a look at the last scripture for the day. This is really the last scripture, okay? But this is, this is really powerful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Let's go to... There's a lot of scripture here. 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 1. This is such a powerful story. I don't think that there's a lot of people in church that would have liked Paul the Apostle. He's addressing the church in Corinth because there's a situation that has taken place within the church and they have done nothing about the situation and he's about to rebuke them and tell him how he would have handled the situation and then he tells us why he would handle the situation like that. Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 5 verse number 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. He's about to tell us what it is. That a man has his father's wife. So this young man is having sexual relations with his father's wife. God has a problem with this. He tells us this. Watch this now. You don't have to go there, but write it down. Leviticus 18.8, Deuteronomy 22.30, and Deuteronomy 27.20. It's clear in Scripture that this is an abomination. I want you to know that he is judging a situation taking place in the church that God says is an offense to me in the Old Testament. That means that what offended God in the Old Testament still offends Him today. <laughs> Come on, somebody better just agree with me a little bit more on that over here on this side. Amen. There are all kinds of things happening in the church today, and all we do is say this. Well, you know, we're just going to love them. Well, take a look at this. Watch what happens. So Paul says, and we do love them, but watch this now. Paul says this. He says, and you, talking to the church, are puffed up and have not rather mourned about this situation. He says, you puffed up. That he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. He's saying, listen, instead of you mourning over this situation, you actually being puffed, you're bragging about it. How are they bragging? We don't know for sure, but most certainly they can say, listen, don't worry. In our church, we just accept everything. Paul has a problem with this. He's saying that this is a problem. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now he's about to get serious. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present. Him who has done this deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, watch this now, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. 
We need to talk about that before we look at the next part. What is it that he means when he says, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh? He's saying, listen, this situation is so serious and can affect everything going on in the church because you are tolerating. And he goes on later on to talk about how this is tolerating leaven. And this leaven can spoil the whole lump. Because once you begin to preach a gospel and teach a gospel that's tolerant to things that are unacceptable to God, you have allowed leaven to creep in. And that leaven can open a door for someone who is weaker and not so strong and think that they can do that too and they're going to be okay. So Paul says, get them out. I'm nice, guys. Paul was mean. Now, there are two different schools of thoughts when it comes to delivering one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. The one is this, is that you take him out of the church so that his body can be destroyed, so that ultimately he can be disaved. So his body, his flesh can actually physically be destroyed. He'll be put out of the church, he'll end up dying, and he'll hopefully be saved, hopefully. And some people and some scholars don't even agree with that. The one that seems to be more accurate is this one is that where it says this, it says deliver one to Satan means that you take him out of the church so he's no longer under the covering of the church. I want you to recognize how important the church's covering really is. Okay? He says because once you've done that, the blessing is lifted off him. And, and the idea is, it says for the destruction of his flesh. What, what, is, what is the problem? Why is he committing the sin? Because of his what? Because of his flesh. So what Paul is hoping to achieve by putting him out of the church, is that he'll repent and his flesh will be killed. Why? Take a look. That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So he's saying that this guy that's in the sin is in trouble. Let's put him out of the church so that he will repent. Because if he does not repent on the day of the Lord, something might go wrong with his spirit. Are you with me? Do you see it? So it's so important that we understand this, that Paul's desire is that he will, he will live for, and be saved for eternity. We know from Scripture and from reading all the scholars and what they say about this, there's two interesting things. The first thing is that the wife is not addressed, yet she's a partaker in the sin. Why is that? The reason why it is most probable is because the wife is more than likely not a believer. So the one who is addressed is the one that is a member of the church who is saved. And if Paul is concerned about his spirit being saved in the day of judgment, then what does that mean? That means that he's saved already. And then if something doesn't change, he might be in trouble. Are you with me, guys? From these kinds of scriptures, and there are many more, there is no question, or it would seem that there is no question, that it is important for you to walk with God, to stay with God, to stay in relationship with God. And it's very clear in scripture that we must be obedient to His voice, to His word. In other words, we can't just choose to live how we want and think that that's going to be okay because of grace. I truly believe that the grace of God is something that we can never fully comprehend in the sense of it is so amazing. And I want you to have an assurance of your salvation. But don't think that you can rebel against God, reject Him, deny Him, and you're going to make it to heaven. The first position once saved, always saved. I do not believe that is a healthy position to teach in the church. Because as I said earlier on, I've seen too many people fall away with that theology. The second position where the person believes that, listen, if you end up turning away from God and not repenting, you were probably never really saved. I'm okay with that position from the point of view that at least that position will keep you walking with Jesus. But from Scripture, it seems most likely that a believer has a choice. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God gave you a free will? 
If He gave you a free will when you get saved, does He change His mind? Think about it. You have a choice. You cannot serve two masters. Eventually, you will only serve the one. Eventually. You must choose life. You must choose Jesus. Our salvation was bought with an incredible price, the price of the king of the universe that was put to the cross so that we could have salvation. And we believe that we can just live how we want and that's we're going to get us to heaven. Guys, come on. Yes. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And every day I get up and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I make mistakes. I go to him. I repent. I believe in walking out repentance. I do it every day. I do not start my prayer without saying, Lord, if I sinned against you, if I grieved against you, forgive me. Listen, if I do anything to my earthly father and offend or hurt my earthly father, I repent. How much more my heavenly father? But some believe that there's no reason to repent because it was all done on the cross. Is God like a slot machine to you? That you just, the benefits are just there pouring out all the time? Doesn't work that way. He is a good father, the best father, the best, the best of the best. But you must treat him like a father who loves you and that has cared for you and that you respect and that you honor. Let's get real. The only reason why I'm sharing this, I don't like to preach this kind of message. It's because I care about you. And I want you to care about those that you know that are not walking with Jesus, but think that they're okay. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray this morning that this message will be received in love, God. That people will, 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 will work out their own salvation, Lord. As your word says, and my only desire, Father, is that they will seek you and walk with you all the days of their life. That's my desire through this message. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that is not walking with you, we know that the end result for someone that doesn't know you is not good. The end result of someone that has not given their life to you will be hell and fire. So my prayer, God, is that you will save every person in this room. And Father, if there's someone in this room that has turned away from you, that is not serving you anymore, that you will bring them back this morning. And so if you've come into this place this morning and you say, Pastor Alex, my life is not right. I have not made Jesus the Lord of my life, but I want to receive that grace. I want to receive that mercy. I want to receive that sacrifice for my sins. I want to give my heart to him this morning. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, please raise your hand so I can pray for you. Don't be afraid. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Anybody else say, Pastor Alex, include me this morning. I want to give my life, God bless you, to Jesus. Raise your hand quickly so I can pray for you. Thank you so much. I see the hand in the back. Thank you so much. God bless you. If you've come into this place and you say, Pastor Alex, my life is not right with God. I have been away from Him. And this morning, I want, to, I want to make sure, I want to commit my life to Him or rededicate my life to Him. Raise your hand so I can include you in this prayer. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? I see that hand in the back. God bless you. Say, Pastor, include me in this prayer this morning. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you, young lady. Thank you so much. Can I ask you, right there in your seat, if you raised your hand, or if you still feel that tugging on your heart, that this morning you need to make right with God, you want to be sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and that you are saved and will walk with Jesus forever, quickly stand to your feet and come to the front. Don't be afraid. Come quickly. Come quickly. Many of you raised your hands. Come. Come, come, come. Don't be afraid, guys. That's it. That's it. Make place for them. Make way for them as they come to the front. God bless you. Thank you so much, young lady.
Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. Just stand right here. God bless you. There were many others that raised their hand. There we go. Come, brother. Amen. God bless you, man. God bless you. God bless you, young man. If you want to come, come quickly so I can include you in this prayer. But even if you don't come, I want you to pray this prayer with me this morning and pray it from your heart like you really mean it. Remember, when we give our lives to Jesus, that's what we do. We give our lives to Him. We make a decision to follow Him and to serve Him because He is so good. And He loves you guys so much. Can we all pray this together? Let's, let's pray together. Let's say, Father, I come to you this morning. I believe Jesus died and rose again. He is the Son of God. Forgive me for my sins. Wash me in your blood. Write my name in the book of life. Today, I give my life to you. I give my heart to you. In Jesus' name. Now I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for this precious woman. Bless this precious lady, Father. Bless them, Father. Can I have my leaders just come quickly, please? Just bless them, Lord. In the name of Jesus, thank you so much, Father, for touching their hearts this morning and drawing them to you, Lord. We give you thanks and praise and all the glory. Guys, this is the beginning of a new day for the rest of your life. In the name of Jesus, there's a beautiful, wonderful leader behind you. You can see them. They're right there. They just want to meet you and pray with you. And if you look over there, there's that pastor over there with his hands in his pocket. I'll talk to him about that after the service. If you can just walk with him, he'd love to just meet you and pray with you. God bless you guys. Come on, church. Let's give them a big round of applause. Amen. God bless you, brother. Amen. Amen. I hope that you got something out of this message. Next week, we are going to be starting a series on fruit. Because the truth is, is that a lot of people believe that there's only the fruit of the Spirit. That's very important. We'll talk about that. But there are other types of fruit that you need to know about in Scripture. So we'll start that series next week. We love you guys. I pray that you are blessed. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you bless every person as they leave this morning. That out of this message, Lord, that the, 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 what is important is that you will draw each and every one of us closer to you. We love you. We honor you. We worship and praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Now I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one as they leave here this morning. Go in the peace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you and we'll see you next week. Amen.